Welcome to the Western Bell podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, My Last Bully is Me. The talk was given by Rick Lewis on March 18th, 2023, via Zoom. Rick is a national speaker and author who has coached and inspired many individuals in personal and professional growth. He is the author of Seven Rules You Were Born to Break, The Perfection of Nothing, You Have the Right to Remain Silent, and other books. In this talk, Rick considers that there is no such thing as spiritual progress on the path, and that we all have a point of reference for the state of no-self. He also mentions the four stages of the spiritual process that Swami Prajnanpad, the Indian master of Arnaud Desjardins, spoke about. Rick addresses some of the questions that he posed about self-bullying in a description of the talk that was posted online, and he discusses a way that he has worked with his inner process that he got through his teacher, Lee Laswick, whose own teacher was Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. If there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Rick Lewis. My last bully is me. So to give a talk, every time my inner answer is no, it's always the very first thing that comes up because I'm scared of doing anything that's outside of my shtick. I have a shtick for a living. I get paid a lot of money to run a shtick at corporate events, and I have it down. I'm really good at it. But there's not much risk in it, even though it looks like risk, because I do this act where I do crazy stuff at a corporate event. I pose as a waiter. It's pretty out there, but I've done it a million times. So there's really very little risk in it. But the prospect of speaking to people about things that are real and authentic and more personal is always, it's always scary. So my answer is always no, but I don't say that right away because I know if I give it time, there'll be an opening to say yes. And the trick is to wait and see when that opening comes and then say yes in that opening, even though you know right after that you're going to be a no again, and probably mostly a no right up to the point of actually delivering through on the commitment. It's really interesting how this relates to this because I didn't know what I would talk about. I just said yes. So I was thinking over a period of maybe six weeks about what kind of subject would be good to talk about. And then I was thinking, well, the best thing to talk about is always what's really going on. And what I have been in the middle of for the last few months is observing a process of my own self-punishing attitude. There's this idea that I've always had that I think most people have that there is such a thing as spiritual progress. Spiritual progress in our mind looks like getting less reactive, 
and more kind and more considerate of other people and doing good things for others and being less neurotic and knowing the Dharma better, having less a sense of self, of me. One of the four stages, there's me, there's me and others, others in me and others, right? Those are supposed to be the four stages. Great example of spiritual progress. The problem is, I think this is the problem in my observation, there is no such thing as spiritual progress. It is complete bullshit. Because the only progress that ever happens in terms of spiritual life is that things look worse and worse. The only kind of progress that can happen is when after years and years and years and years, I'm speaking from my own experience, I'm stating this as though it were so, but that's bullshit too, because I don't know. I'm just trying this on with confidence to look like I have some idea what I'm talking about. So there is no spiritual progress. There's only a long, long arc of trying, trying, trying to look like a better person, a more spiritual person, a more confident giving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank person. And in fact, the only thing that can really happen is that at some point we drop the facade and we drop the game of trying to look good and we just start telling it like it is to ourselves, to where we can see that we are a particular kind of machine. So this thing that people have called the work, that Gurdjieff called the work, the only possibility of working with the machinery as it exists is to completely leave it the hell alone. Stop trying to change it. Stop trying to make it into something other than what it is. Stop trying to perfect it. Stop trying to squeeze it into a spiritual box and just let it be. And my most recent head-on collision with this form of Dharma was when I moved back to Vancouver. I'm in Vancouver now. I moved from Arizona to Vancouver in August of last year. And a friend of mine, when I got here to Vancouver, said, hey, I'm doing this workshop. Do you want to come and join me? And I said, oh, I don't know. Maybe what is it? And he said, oh, it's called the Forum. And so I did the Landmark Forum about 27 years ago. And I had no intention of doing the Forum again, ever. But my friend was doing it. And like I usually do when he asked me, I said, no. Again, because I'm scared and nervous of being found out and being exposed, especially in front of people. So I said no. And then over the course of a few weeks, as the forum was coming up, I started reviewing my behavior. And I'm like, I have this really good friend who's invited me to do this workshop with him. And I said no out of fear. So I said, that's kind of whacked. I should just say yes to my friend. So I did. I said, okay, I'm going to come with you to the forum. So I went to the forum just expecting to support my friend and be a good buddy with him. And I just got nailed by the forum. I got in there and after 
decades and decades and decades of spiritual practice. I'm squirming and uncomfortable and not wanting to do the exercises, simple exercises, like call somebody and tell them you have been an asshole or just admit what you've been up to. Simple things. Well, simple on the outside and to the part inside the machine, which is going to protect itself at all costs by any measures from revealing itself. It's terrible. It's a terrible experience. So there I was in the forum. I don't know how many people here have done the forum, probably a lot of you. There's one exercise where you have to call and admit how you've been judging them or resenting them or holding out or something like that. But anyway, as soon as this was suggested, a person immediately came to mind. He and I first met a long, long time ago. I was a teenager and we had an instant connection and bond and we've been friends ever since. And about maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago, in the process of really stepping up and serving and speaking up with something he really knows about and his practice. For me, the effect that had was I just started judging him for what he was doing. But I didn't admit it was judgment. It was judgment, but I just had criticism of what he was doing it and how he was doing it and where he was coming from with it. But it was all purely jealousy. I was jealous and threatened by what he was doing because everything in me and my machine would love to be a person who people come to for guidance and wisdom. And they think of me when they need somebody to talk to who's really got some weight and some merit on the path, right? But I'm too scared to step up and be someone who's visible and serve that way. So what I do instead is I judge people who do because I was jealous. So I phoned him. I walked out of the door of the forum and it was the very last phone call I would ever want to make is to phone somebody who I respect and say, this is what I've been up to for the last 12 years. I don't know if we'd grown apart, but we sure hadn't talked much in quite some time. But that was because of me. So I phoned him. And of course, when you speak the truth, especially about yourself to anybody, it's an instantaneous opening to relationship, especially with someone who is practiced in basic kindness, generosity, and compassion. So we just had the most wonderful reconnection, the most joyous. It just felt so amazing to let go of that poison I was carrying around, this weight of my judgment, my jealousy, and to reconnect with him. And so there were a number of these exercises in the forum And I kept, even though I didn't want to, stepping up to do them. And every time I would do that, you know, in the Wizard of Oz, when they tear apart the scarecrow and the scarecrow's pieces are all over. Well, it was like that. I had walked into the forum, longtime spiritual practitioner, 
not knowing that my pieces were all just all over the freaking floor. And those pieces are denial. That is what the machine will do. It's just what it does. It's going to try and protect itself by denying that it's forgetful and unconscious and greedy and fearful and self-centered. And so each of these exercises, we're just admitting and reclaiming a part of the machine that just is the way it is. And the form is just so damn skilled at doing this. The technology of the form is just so well put together to lead you through this process. And it's like things get fused together that aren't supposed to be fused together. And you lose connection with parts of yourself that you're supposed to have contact with. So this reclaiming process was firing something inside of me. And then on the third day, the third and final day, I was sitting in the crowd. It was this exercise where they make it clear that your machine will always be the machine and that there's absolutely not even the slightest chance of escaping your machine. The mechanicality of the machine is completely inescapable. It will do what it does forever. And that's what you've got to work with. And they do this thing in the forum when they get to the end. And what they do is they set it up and they say, okay, now you're going to get the big piece. You're going to get this huge piece now. And as I sat there, I'm like, okay, I'm all in. I'm committed. I'm going to get something massive here. My attention was fully with the presenter. And I had been gaining this energy through the process of doing these reconnection processes. It's not what they call them, but that's what it was for me. Claiming these parts I was disowning and admitting them and reconstituting myself. So I had all this energy. And then they got to this last part. And she led us through this process. And then the culmination of it was, this is you. This is what you've got to work with as you are. This is your machine. There is absolutely no escape from it. And in this instant, I experienced this complete and total disidentification (laughs) with the machine because there was absolutely not even this much of me which was engaged in the process of trying to make it different. For just this window, I had been convinced that there was absolutely no way I could make this machine different. And if that's the case, then there's nothing for me to do. Absolutely nothing for me to do. And in that moment, I just saw this and this machine exactly the way it is. And that provided this space, this witness space, that was the only relationship I've ever had with this word liberation, this idea of liberation. 
Liberation isn't liberation into anything else. It's just liberation from identification with all of this. So I had this opening, this satori, this pure view. Now, I've had these in my life before, as probably you all have. We have a free moment and we stumble into these amazing elevated states. The illusion of non-separation, right? So I'm sitting there having this private experience. And then inside, part of me going, whoa, wow, you have broken through to something incredible. You are now having this amazing enlightenment experience and nobody knows it. And you can't share it with anybody because that would be very egoic and that would be totally off to like put up on a banner or talk about this wonderful, amazing, elevated experience you're having. And so then I was sitting there watching that kick in and the trainer in front of the room, she was kind of going on to the next thing. And then she wanted people to come up and share what was going on for them. and. Everything inside of me was like, oh, well, there's absolutely no way I can raise my hand because I'm in the middle of this enlightened experience. And that would be completely taboo to walk up in front of the room, not just taboo, but stupid and crazy to go up in front of the room and tell people I'm in a no self state in this exact moment. I have always, my whole life, had. Anything that feels good or elevated or useful or free, private to myself. And so what I noticed is that immediately I had this constriction come in. So then I'm in this process of re-identifying with that would be bad. I can't do that. And what's really going on? And am I really having this experience? So the instant I saw that, I raised my hand in the air. And the trainer calls on me to go in front of these 100 people in front of the room. And I walk up in front of the room, and I'm looking at everybody sitting in their seats. For some reason, I flip back into this non-dual context. And I'm in front of the room, literally feeling that there is no separation between me and anybody in that room. I was totally in this bhava. And I stood in front of the room and I just started going down the front of the line. <laughs> I walked up and I was right in front of each person, a few feet away. And I just said, there's nothing but you and me. I can't duplicate it, but I was just totally in the state. And as I was talking to each person, everybody was just, dropping into this, they were feeling it. They were totally feeling the truth of the fact that we are not separate. A complete illusion that that exists. So that was the first time in my life that I have ever experienced actually sharing from a condition that isn't what we might call the cramp. That isn't a condition of shutdown, lockdown, I'm bad, I'm wrong, basically some form of self-bullying. And 
my fear of connecting from a state like that, well, the fear is twofold. I'm afraid that if I totally shine as who I really am, me as a human being from my essence, completely free, completely loving, completely open, then people are either going to worship me, they're going to bow down and want to follow me, or they're going to want to kill me. Those are the two options if anybody shows up like that. And so there I was in front of the room, just letting this phenomena express itself. And the most wonderful thing happened, which was I walked off the stage and there was a break about five minutes later. And all these people came up to me and started talking to me about what was on their mind and what they thought of what I said. I didn't have any particular amazing positive effect or negative effect on any of those people from that state. It was such an amazing experience to be able to see and feel that I could just be me freely and not have these dire consequences occur. So after getting back from the forum, there's been this series of being knocked over the head by these states. I can't even describe. It's this completely ordinary sense of the utter naturalness of there not being a person here. And as this was going on, I started having all these memories of getting bullied as a kid. How many people were bullied, remember being bullied growing up? So I never identified with being bullied. I know bullying is a thing in schools. I've got three kids. There's always been this no tolerance for bullying in schools and me concerned that the kids never get bullied. I never, ever have identified with being somebody who's been bullied in their life. But I had this memory of getting bullied. And oh, wow, that's interesting. And then a day later, I had another memory of a different incident of being bullied. And then the floodgates opened. And I started having one memory after another rise up of being threatened, cornered, beaten up, not allowed to go home, physically roughed up. I was on a class school trip to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, and four inner city kids carved me off the back of the class that was moving through the museum and punched a hole through my bottom lip. My tooth went through my bottom lip because they punched me in the head. All these memories start to come up of being bullied, including some stuff that left me with a lot of shame. I'm a performer. I grew up performing as a kid. And some of the incidents of bullying were in circumstances where I was backstage or in the wings in a theater context, and I was being inappropriately connected with by men and 
I didn't even know what that was at the time. I just knew it felt really weird. So I just kept having one memory after the other of being bullied in some way. And by bullying, I mean somebody not respecting my agency, my independence, my wishes, my needs. So I wound up making a list because the memories were coming so fast. I've got a list of like 30 different instances that were quite traumatic in my life. So then I started reflecting on my life after all these incidents of being bullied as I started to grow up. I started to look at how I conduct myself as a person and my relationships, the paths I took in my own development as an athlete, a performer, a business person. And in every situation, when I look back, what I see is somebody who picked up the ball and took over the bullying process from the imprints that I had gotten as a kid, which left me with the belief that I was not deserving of protection, being seen as having worth or value, my self-expression being honored. And when I look back, I have been by far the worst and best bully of my own life. Because I'm right there all the time. When I was a kid, I'd have to worry about where the bully was in the neighborhood when I left the house. And sometimes they were around and sometimes they weren't. But as my own bully, I was always right there, right on top of everything I'm saying, everything I'm doing, how I'm doing it, whether it's good enough, whether it's up to par. And what I see is this persona that spent a huge amount of time and energy trying to prove that it deserves to exist. I should actually exist. And of course, that carried right through everything I did. It was great for being an achiever. I achieved all sorts of things. I accomplished a lot, became very confident in the outer shell of personality. And then, of course, took all of that to the spiritual path punishing discipline and meditating without missing a single day and doing long retreats and being a warrior in relationship to spiritual practice and tapas and discipline. Oh, absolutely a perfect recipe for somebody who wants to bully themselves into proving that they are worthwhile. They deserve to exist. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Layer after layer after layer of this idea of bullying is being revealed as you speak about it. The whole idea that it's by my own mechanical nature that I attract these kinds of things to me and willingly on some level participate. I can identify with got to make meditation every morning, et cetera, et cetera, and how that is actually on some level maybe a form of self-punishment. Yes, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do it, but... It seems like some of the things that we do are useful 
through our practice. But for me, the way that I do it is the question. Maybe that's not so useful. And maybe I don't get to work with that so much until there are situations when I'm not able to rotely do the practice that I'm doing when something comes up, some other responsibility or something that needs to take precedence, then, (laughs) oh my gosh, I didn't do whatever I usually do that day. And seeing that, for me, that's relaxed a little bit begrudgingly over time. I had this experience about two weeks ago where I was just really identified and blaming myself for absolutely everything. I was just blaming and blaming and blaming. The next day I realized that, you know, I was identified and it was just really liberating. You can't be that image that you want to be because you just wanted perfection and that's not going to happen. Anybody else with an experience of bullying or liberation or combination of the two? (laughs) I had a lot of experience of being bullied as a kid. We would go on many trips and there would be other kids' fathers who would be with all the boys. And I found many of them to be extremely aggressive. One or two of them even hit me once or twice, which back then was acceptable. Right. You won't be quiet, or I can't get you to do what I want you to do, or why aren't you joining the group? That was acceptable. And I'm angry at that. And that kind of fuels me going forward. There's plenty of energy there (laughs) to hold my boundaries from stuff that happened way, way back there. In your write-up, you said that real-life bullying as children has provided an exaggerated gift and an obstacle at the same time. So how would you say that bullying can be a gift? Yeah, so a tangible example of that is fast-forwarding to my experience of the last month. COVID shut down my work as a speaker and presenter for couple of years. And we just watched our bank account drain out during that time. And my men friends who know me watched me wring my hands and get more and more anxious about that over a long period of time as there was no work. And so what I decided to do during that period, my play to try and find some work since I couldn't go out and do meetings face-to-face during the pandemic, was to start writing and start writing more publicly and see if I could do something with my writing because I love to write. So I started writing articles on a site called Medium. And that was a really interesting process because as I began to try and write and put stuff out, that is what I know to be the shortest distance between myself and others, authenticity, honesty, vulnerability, really trying to capture that in things I was writing. And of course, the more honest, vulnerable, or authentic I would be, the more tied up in knots I would be about sharing that publicly. It's a very different animal. I'm used to being a performer 
where I can be in front of people and I can see how it's going. I can see how they're responding. I get some sense. Are they with me? Are they not with me? Anytime I don't know how I'm landing or how I'm doing, that ups the level of anxiety and insecurity for me. I started writing. And then in the last couple of months, I've gotten to the point where I'm actually getting some traction, where people online are showing interest in a couple of projects I've created, which ostensibly are going to be to offer an online community for people to come together and connect over certain professional development topics. And as this has started to gain interest and traction, I've been getting more anxious, more nervous, and more afraid of actually launching it. The process of stretching where you don't want to do it, but you find when you do it, it's valuable. So that process is active in me. So I keep going. I keep putting stuff out there. But as I've been doing that, I'm getting more and more anxious, more and more tense to the point where the level of constriction in my body was getting so intense and so painful. I literally thought I was going to either have a heart attack or literally do some kind of damage to myself. I admitted myself to the emergency room here in Vancouver about three weeks ago. I think I have to check this out because I'm like on the verge of something bad happening. And I went in, I'm waiting in there. The doctor takes my blood pressure. It's 119 over 79. They do an EKG. There's no problem clean bill of health, and I come home, and the moment I sit down at my computer to try and stretch out of my comfort zone and make myself available and to serve, I am in complete lockdown physically, real pain. When I'm at the computer, I feel disoriented because something inside is so tense that I'm literally cutting off blood supply to my head. I get ringing in my ears, I get tunnel vision, disoriented. And so for the last few weeks, this has just been getting worse and worse and worse. So this process of being terrified to show myself is a huge obstacle, clearly. But the gift, I'm laying there in bed in the morning thinking of getting up and going back to work. And think, okay, you just have to stop. And then I'm like, if I stop, this thing, whatever this thing is that's running me, is just still going to be there. It is not going away. And I was determined, like, what is this? And I remember Lee used to say, at one point, I heard him over say to somebody, if you're having a nightmare and there's an evil force in the nightmare, you can say to that entity in the name of Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, what are you? And so I had this feeling of whatever this thing that was happening physiologically that was putting me into a physiological lockdown was something that I needed to fully see. So I just kept going. And then I hit this one day that was so bad I was so cramped up. So I'm working and I put up a screen of Britain's Got Talent. 
You know, the ones where the person, some commoner, some Brit from the slums comes out and they're all shy and I'm going to sing. And the panel is rolling their eyes and then the person cuts loose and this force of being comes out of them. This incredible voice will come out. And every time I watch those, I just bawl my eyes out because that depiction of someone who is afraid, unexpressed, shut down, and then they cut loose in the form of their self-expression that they're meant to deliver. Every time I watch those, it is so moving to me. So I found a compilation of those and I put them up on screen. I needed to find something to shift this lockdown inside my body. So I'm watching these things and I'm predictably bawling and crying. It's so joyous and so amazing to watch these people belt out these songs who are otherwise wallflowers and afraid. And still, even though I'm in the process of all this emotional release, still, there is no movement of this incredible tension in my body. So then I got the Spotify app. I'm not a person who listens to music. I just never listen to music. I like music when I hear it, but I'm not a music listener. So I got Spotify because I need something that's going to shift me physiologically. I listen to jazz. I listen to classical. I tried heavy metal. I was like going through all these genres of music to try and shift this thing that was just getting tighter and tighter, the stress level higher and higher. So. Then I'm at the peak of the tension of this thing. I'm looking at it going, what the frick is this thing? What is this? And I'm feeling the pain. And it's right in here. It's like right up under the rib cage, the bottom of the lungs. And it's like there's some force in there pushing up on the bottom of my lungs so that my lungs can't even get a full breath. and. For the first time, I think in my whole life, I actually fully felt what it was. I could feel the entire construct of this self-bullying. And for the first time ever, instead of being a victim of it, I had a relationship to the fact that I was actually causing this that I was actually doing this to myself. I was contracting and constricting and holding my breath. So there was a whole pattern of tension in my whole torso. And so as I was really just trying to be with it and feel it and then fully got in touch with it, it actually started to dissolve and release and all of that energy spread in this warmth throughout my body. And then I looked up and I had this reconnection to what had happened to me in the forum, this reference point of there isn't actually any me. The only me there is, is this exact pattern of tension that I perpetuate in my body. So this whole thing released, whoa, 
I've had this experience in Vipassana meditation where I'd be sitting for days and I would be in absolute agony, the worst pain in my back or my knees, thinking, oh my God, I'm doing some actual damage to my body. I'm like on day five, sitting 14 hours a day. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is bad. I'm going to be in the hospital. And then suddenly, without changing position, the pain would suddenly disappear, vanish. And I just feel like this warm flow in my body. It was like that. We're just staying with this thing as it was, actually shifted it. And it turned into something else. And what it turned into was this opening, this direct experience, that idea of me, what I call me, what I hold on to as the concept of me is not even a concept. It's what I'm doing with my breath, my body, the tension I hold in my body, The only way to sustain that sense of a separate me is by holding this tension pattern in my body. So without going the whole way, this bullying, this habit, this lifetime of bullying that we take over ourselves and take on ourselves and perpetuate ourselves, it's a tremendous obstacle unless we follow it through all the way to the bottom. This reminds me of Osho Rajneesh. In his biography, he tells the story of how he used to throw himself into the Ganges River at monsoon season when the tide was highest and the monsoon would be full of these big whirlpools. And people used to go swimming in monsoon season in the Ganges and get caught in these whirlpools and drown all the time because whirlpools are incredibly powerful, these cyclones of water that are beneath the surface. Osho used to go into these whirlpools, and his secret was he would not resist the force of the whirlpool sucking him down under the surface of the water. He would allow that process to occur. And he would follow the pull of the whirlpool all the way down to the bottom without resisting it. And if you think of a whirlpool underneath the surface of the water, that follow gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller at the very base of the whirlpool. It is incapable of imprisoning the person at its point of origin. Because at the point of its arising, it has no power. So he used to routinely throw himself in the river and pop back up. And people would be like, how the heck would you do that? I don't resist. I surrender to it. So would you say that what you've done is not resist the process of self-bullying that goes on for you? If so, how does that relate to this question that you asked in the description? What does it look like to be our own spiritual friend? And we think, oh, well, maybe I should just ease up on myself or something. Are you saying that that's not the process that you've experienced produces an opening? It's trying to be our own spiritual friend as opposed to allowing and really being with the process of self-bullying. So the observation that I have of my own work 
there is such a thing, is that the inner bully goes really easy on itself where there should be more discipline and is super hard on itself where it should lighten up. So the form of work we adopt with the bully in charge is that we flip the work necessity and we pretty much avoid the things that could actually deliver us through the bottom of the funnel. And we throw ourselves headlong into things that just eat up our energy and confuse us and create chaos and problems for us. And so to be a friend means to experiment with challenging the ways we keep ourselves comfortable and also to comfort ourselves in the ways we habitually beat ourselves up. So it's really to look at the patterns that we traffic in routinely and try something different. Where I find myself at this point is literally hundreds of times a day vacillating back and forth. I had another potential title for this talk I was going to use, which was going to be microdosing reality. And you know how microdosing is really big now. So if you're suffering and you've had mental illness or anxiety or existential angst, whatever you've had, the guide will give you a dose of LSD or psilocybin so you can get a reference point for actually everything is totally workable. There's no problem. And then once you get the reference point, you can take your attention back to that place and have more repetition of free moments that you can access. Non-dual dharma, to use truth consistently, so to be our own friend is to constantly draw upon microdoses of truth to interrupt the process of self-bullying. And for me, it's been this repetition of anytime I feel this constriction, the literal physical constriction come up in my torso, the shallowing of the breath, I can't breathe, the tightening of the gut, it's looking up and just repeating whether I believe it or not in the moment, taking my attention back to the reference point that I've had that there is literally no me. There literally, there's no me. And to be one's friend is to allow yourself to take refuge. It might sound trite or it might sound self-aggrandizing to even say to yourself, I'm one with everything. There is no separation between me and everything else. My ego does not exist. But these ideas can be incredibly useful and powerful to interrupt that process of self-bullying and open a little crack, a little doorway to entering 
the realm that all of our teachers and our guides and the mystics have been begging us to pick up and to trust and to lean into further. So you say that self-bullying exists anytime we reject or resist our experience. So it feels from what you're saying that whenever you detect this tension in the body and you're resisting an experience, then all of a sudden we're feeling like, oh, I'm this separate person identified with the situation and it's scary. Yeah, the very habit, the fixation on the idea that I must be something other than this. I must be something other than just exactly this is self-bullying. And that is the foundation of me. So what when what is is this contracted state? Right. That's what I am right now, I guess you would say. Right. So to admit it, allow it, be with it, be honest about it, not try and hide it, not try and run from it, and fully feel it as it is, is the only option. And also to take some microdoses? Yes. Or to remind oneself? The sense I have is that only the wound of the self-bully and the wound of ego could turn into something grand, wonderful. This idea that no self is something that is unknown to us, far away from us, some goal or achievement is absolutely wrong. It is absolutely fundamentally wrong. It is actually so natural and so close and actually everybody's experience. It's within the frame of everyone's experience that they are not separate. I mean, we have it to different degrees in different ways. You know, you go for a walk in the woods or your partner gives you a massage and you're being touched or you're breathing in and out fresh morning air. It goes on and on, but there's not a single person who does not have already a reference point, a place to start in relationship to no self. I think we all have not only a starting point, but actually a tremendous point of reference for that. So to own and to be willing to claim and admit, this is what I am, is connected I think there's just a tremendous amount of baggage and myth around the idea of union and non-separation and enlightenment that makes something inaccessible that is actually entirely accessible to every human being. One of the things that happens is that we mix up description with prescription someone describes something and we go how do i do that how do i do what this person just described rather than recognize it's a description it's their description Mm -hmm. and in our own ownership we work with it often we take instruction 
We take the description of something and we make it a prescription. I have to do this. I have to do it and I have to do it this way. And that's definitely a prescription for failure. And the ability to see our own nature, our own step-by-step small opening mm-hmm. windows is, yes. is the way. That's, that's the only way. Everything else is just the bully. I'm bullying myself because I want to look like that. Right. No, it ain't going to happen. Great. Yeah. It hasn't happened to me. So I think also if I'm serving somebody or something is more important than me, 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 then I have this experience when I'm holding a little child in my arm and the child is crying and I try to comfort him or when somebody's in need or I'm cooking a meal for somebody. This is for me so practical oneness. So this is my reference point for that. Yeah, if I'm only doing something without judging, I'm doing it only because it's right in front of my nose. It's what is wanted and needed. And if I'm doing that, then life is giving me all day long here so incredible possibilities to not bullying me because I'm only looking at what is wanted and needed in this moment. How I'm busy with serving somebody, I have no time in this moment to think about bullying myself. Ruth, this last question that you wrote relates to this, I think. You said that if we're our own spiritual friend, wouldn't this be a first step to serving as a spiritual friend to others? Would you say anything about that? Yeah, I just find more and more that the people I want to be around and the person I want to be and what I want to provide is honesty and authenticity. And that in terms of being a friend, if I give myself the space to line up authentically with exactly what is true here, and that gives permission for somebody else to set down the self-bullying process and even for a moment feel like, oh, well, maybe I can just be in relationship with exactly who I am and, and what I've got to work with. To me, that's friendship. That's the friendliest thing I could imagine doing for another person at this point. It's what I want. It's the kind of company I'm looking for in relationship to other people, friends on or off the path. And it's what I would wish to offer other people is just that sense of, oh, okay, I don't have to put on an act. I don't have to keep up some kind of pretense, some kind of facade or game here. This is real. Really appreciate everybody's attention and letting me experiment with saying yes. Because every time I say yes, when I want to say no, and then get to the other side is another tally in the momentum for authenticity. It's all I want. It's what I wish to do in my life is just be an authentic human being for other human beings. And I need practice. I need a lot of it. So it's been really a pleasure to speak to you all.